Hey, feisty friends, welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast, where each week we deliver trusted information for women who want to get the best from their bodies throughout their lives. Learn to feel and perform your best through our four pillars of performance, physiology, nutrition, mental health, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, and this is a Feisty Media Production. Hi, Feisty Strong Women. Welcome to episode 12 of the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I think it's episode 12, so I think we're kind of done with season one. Um, I'm going to take a little break for the next couple weeks to regroup and see what kind of awesomeness we can bring to episodes 13 to 24. But I was just looking back, actually, on some of the episodes we've done. I'm literally scrolling through my phone right now, Um, starting with that panel you know, about how every woman deserves performance. We've talked about, if you haven't listened to them, we've talked about uh, diet culture with Taylor Tracy and her amazing keynote, Christy Moan talking about advocacy and race directing, Kristen Arnold and that episode about fueling our bodies, Monica Garrison and changing uh, cycling culture. Um, Dr. Carla D and the hormones and how we're not broken. Um, I love that. Lil Wilcox, always inspiring and the st- storytelling genius. Amelia Boone, learning to live life to the fullest. We had Celine's keynote from the Feisty Women's Performance Summit about pushing back and speaking out and how we can create community and welcome people in. Then we have, oh my gosh, we had Emily and Megan from uh, Faster, the the research group from out of Stanford talking about female performance. Last week, we had Josephine Holmberg, who honestly, like, I knew nothing about bikini competitions before chatting with her. So interesting. And now this week, we have the extremely smart and well-spoken Holly Samuel from Fit Cookie Nutrition. I was on her podcast a little while back. And as we were talking, I thought, you know what, I'd really love to have you on my podcast. So she's a registered dietitian and a personal trainer. She works with a lot of runners and in the endurance space with nutrition. Um, She also like we dove into a lot of really interesting areas this week, Uh, her background as an equestrian athlete, and like how we shift our thinking from like that kind of restrictive diet culture to more like how we value how we understand the value of food and what food will do for us, and then how we teach our kids to do that too. I also asked Holly about her own entrepreneurship because she's built quite a big brand with Fit Cookie Nutrition uh, during the pandemic as well. So I was interested in how she manages her time and uh, keeps on top of all the reels and podcasting and all the things, you know, (laughs) that entrepreneurs do nowadays. Um, So that was interesting too. And then also she gives me some advice about managing stress through food too, which I hadn't heard before. So I do hope you will all enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I also want to give a shout out uh, to our sponsors. We do have Inside Tracker as a sponsor and they, I know I've mentioned before, but they come and take, do a blood draw and will tell you, you know, what's going on with your blood and how you can eat and train to be healthier. Um, it's a really interesting inside view of our uh, physiology. And then also, honestly, the CBD intimacy oil. Uh, yum. I think everyone should try it. But enough about that. On with the show. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They are shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. 
FM as in Feisty Media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at TafosiOptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Holly, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I, we recorded, how long ago was that on your podcast? Uh, about a month ago? I think so. Yeah. I don't, time flies. I felt like it was still more wintry out. So it was probably a month ago. <laughs> yeah. That, that's why I said a month, not because it feels like a month, but because of that, like the passage of time is a bit blurry still. Um, yeah. Seriously. But yeah, we had such a fun conversation that I thought, oh, I should have you over here on the women's performance podcast. So good to see you. Um, okay. I want to start first asking you about your own athletic background. I know that you were, rode horses as a kid. Were you a sporty child? Yeah. So, um, identifying myself as a sporty child, I know we talked about like self-identification on my episode with you too. Like, I don't know, I wouldn't have identified myself as like a sporty kid, Mm -hmm. but at the same time I did kind of start to identify, I think more as an athlete, the more serious I got at the like equestrian sport with horses. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I thinking of that, like I played soccer, like probably until I was maybe like eight or nine probably until the time I got my first pony. Um, and then, you know, I was always the soccer kid on the field who was like, just, I hate confrontation. Like if I have the ball, everyone's running at me. Definitely didn't like that. Got to get rid of the ball and like, would just give it up. So (laughs) thinking of myself as like a team sport, gym sporty kid was definitely not something I necessarily would have said, but Um, yeah, I grew up riding horses and that was definitely something I was super good at. I competed through high school and college and at a national level and, um, kind of started to do it like semi-professionally after college. Um, and then kind of my career took over. I burned out from the sport a little bit, which is a shame. Um, but then I started running. So that's kind of how I fell into the endurance world, um, was probably partway through college, but until then all like my sportiness was pretty much always at the barn. (laughs) Right. And what, what kind of equestrian sports did you do? Yeah, I did um, mostly hunter jumpers. Um, I played with eventing a little bit in college. My aunt had a really awesome like event horse for cross country and stuff, but mm-hmm. mostly hunter jumpers. Huh? And do, do you still ever ride horses? 
I haven't in a while. Um, I'll get on like my aunt's horse. She lives right down the street from me every once in a while, but I really, I really don't do it much anymore, which is like not something I ever pictured for myself. And it's kind of weird to say it's like a picture of a horse hanging in my office. And my husband's always like, maybe that'll be the only horse we ever get. <laughs> um, so I'm like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if I get back into it in the future, but I always love the animals. Yeah. And so you said you were a bit burnt out and you started running. Tell us about that time period. Like what caused the burnout and how did you find running? Yeah. Um, let me think about the timeline. So I probably started to get a little bit burnt out. Um, at the end of college and afterwards I was riding like probably eight or nine horses a day, um, for a lot of the time, which was like my whole day basically. Um, and I loved it. It was great. I got to ride a lot of cool horses that other people owned. And I was basically, um, exercising and training, um, them for these people. Um, and I honestly got a little bit burnt out of like that schedule, um, not being able to really step away from that schedule, getting frustrated that I didn't have like my own horse. Cause they're very expensive animals to kind of keep around and stay healthy. They're like the biggest, most fragile beasts <laughs> that exist. Um, and they require a lot of work and I know how much work it takes. And I wasn't sure I wanted to necessarily like sell my soul to the barn life. Um, and some of the politics honestly got kind of tough too. I, I think I burnt out a lot of the, the politics of the horse world, but I kind of fell out of it, fell into my post-grad career, um, kind of becoming a dietitian, which I know we'll talk about, mm -hmm. which really left me no time, you know, to do both. Um, so that's kind of around the time I started to take up running in college, um, around the times of the Boston marathon bombings. Mm -hmm. I just found that like, crazy that, you know, I kind of read about the bombings and then what a marathon was and how long it was. And I knew, um, people running marathons at the time and kind of just fell into it for stress relief. And then it totally took over. Like once I kind of stopped the equestrian sport. Well, that's really interesting. So you only just found out like really about the marathon at that time, because that feels really recent history to me. I, mean, I know. I'm, I'm like, here I am. Me, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, here you are. Yeah. Helping tons of runners and everything. Um, I just, yeah. I have one more question about the equestrian thing, because I know that like equestrians generally considered one of the more egalitarian sports in terms of gender. Um, even though, like, I think you mentioned there in terms of socioeconomic access, there's some challenges. Um, but did you find that to be the case? Like, did you find as a girl doing equestrian, did you feel really well supported? That's a really interesting perspective. Um, yeah, I'll totally like own my privilege too. Like I was an only child. My parents were kind of able to put me in really good, you know, situations at really nice barns. I was able to have a horse. Um, I did work off a lot of my board and I did kind of ride other people's horses for them and make some compromises there. But, um, yeah, super lucky as a kid to be able to have that. And it is, it is mostly female, um, dominated sport. Mm -hmm. And my instructor and my trainer growing up was probably one of the only like male riders that I knew. He was awesome. I was really, really, really fortunate. Um, I actually met my husband at that barn too. He, his parents owned it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I met my husband. But our trainer, you know, he, he was just really safe, like really prioritized like safety and health. And, you know, he would, he was like the first one to point out to me, Hey, like you're, you know, about to pass out every time we go to a show. So like, you need to drink more water and like take electrolytes and maybe you need to eat more and maybe you need to work on certain things. So I was really lucky because in my other experiences, you know, kind of after the fact, like that just totally wasn't the case. You know, there is a lot of, there's a lot of females in the sport. There's also a lot of eating disorders in the sport. Um, how the person looks on the horse is part of the judgment process in competitions. Oh, um, I so didn't know that. yeah, not every type of discipline, but yeah. for probably the most elite of the elite, like dressage and show jumping, um, especially equitation, it, it has to do a lot with how you look in the ring on the horse. So that's definitely a theme that's super <sighs> prevalent in that sport that I was very lucky that I didn't really have to experience because I was in such a good environment growing up, which I'm, I learned later in my life that it is very much not the norm. <laughs> right. Um, there's a lot of, you know, kind of shady things in the horse world. There's a lot of eating disorders and a lot of bad coaching kind of like mm -hmm. there is in the running world, to be honest. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, that's so interesting. I, I one time had a minor disagreement with someone from the equestrian world who was trying to argue that equestrians like totally equal, gender equal, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, I, you know, I understand that I love that the women can compete against the men and all of those pieces fall into place, right. but <laughs> there's no, you can't separate a sport from our culture. Like just exactly what you're talking about, like feeling those body image pressures in in any sport, I think is like, it's sort of I'm not going to say like, it has to be, cause I obviously we want to get to a world where it isn't <laughs> the case, but like, really you can't separate those things out. Right. Yeah. Um, and to even like highlight my, my trainer, his name's Kevin McQueen, Millstone Farm in New Jersey. If anyone's listening, you should go there. It's a great place, but him, him and his wife, Jackie kind of run their business now. And even like that partnership is just very unique. Like I haven't really seen that <laughs> anywhere yeah. else in the horse mm-hmm. world where that's successful and it works really well for their, you know, for their relationship. But yeah, it's totally true. Like I think, I think we had maybe two other male riders at the barn of like, you know, 30 horses. Um, so it was, is very much female dominated. And with that definitely comes like an image, you know, and I think that's really interesting to dive into. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at this point you're, you know, you're transitioning, you're becoming a runner and you've decided to become a dietitian, right? Um, what kind of led to that interest in food and dietetics and all those things? Yeah. So I, I went to college, um, at the university of New Hampshire, my freshman year, I entered pre-med. Um, so I always kind of knew I was good at science. I liked the anatomy and biology classes I took in high school, um, and kind of knew I wanted to do something with that, maybe in the healthcare field. I didn't really know what though. And I was really lucky and I always shout out UNH for this. Um, they make a lot of their freshmen who have declared a major take like a one credit, like this is about your major. This is what the path looks like. This is what you can do with this major. Like this is what you have to do maybe post-grad if that's something that you have to do in order to achieve these careers. Um, and I learned very quickly through taking that class that I absolutely did not want to be a doctor. Um, (laughs) uh, and that, that definitely wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, and, uh, really hated that class, but looking back, I'm like, Oh, that was a really good class. <laughs> um, but my, my advisor at the time, um, she was the anatomy and physiology professor. And she also happened to be an advisor in the nutrition program. And I had a lot of like, you know, big, you know, soul searching type talks with her. And she was like, I think what you're describing wanting to do from like health, from a holistic standpoint and helping people understand how to, you know, maybe prevent, you know, diseases or, just focusing on helping people from a more holistic standpoint, instead of treating conditions with medications, um, you know, and surgery and that kind of thing. She's like, I think you might be actually better off being a dietitian. That's what this is called. This is how you do it. Um, and actually the majors, you know, the pre-med major and the dietetics major are very similar. There's like a few differences that basically involve me taking nutrition specific biochemistry versus just regular biochemistry or taking additional classes in food, um, science or psychology or counseling and that kind of thing. So it's pretty easy (laughs) to switch my major into dietetics because it was kind of the same, but with a different focus. So I was lucky to have kind of her guidance there because I really didn't know really what a dietitian was um, and what their role was in like the healthcare system and beyond until I got into school and she told me about it. But it was totally like selfish too. Like I definitely wanted, you know, to learn. I think a lot of dietitians say this about themselves. Like I wanted to learn about nutrition to support my own benefit too. I had started to become like a bit more active in like the, the fitness world at the time. And I'd be lying too if I said there wasn't a little bit of like disorder there where I wanted to kind of use it to control the way that I looked um, and was perceived to the world. So that's kind of what started my interest in nutrition. Yeah. Interesting. So do you think, would you ever say that you got to the point of, of having an eating disorder or were you like, just kind of, because I asked this question for myself too, so I can answer it too, but, or was it just kind of like some feeling the pressures and some disorder type thinking? I think when I got to college and like my parents can say this about me too, like I definitely was a very like anxious perfectionist. Like it was the perfect Mm -hmm. storm kind of situation Mm -hmm. through high school. I was top of my class, um, you know, and I got to college and it was all different and I'm an only child and I was away from home and um, I was definitely super anxious and I didn't have like that 
barn outlet as much anymore. So my schedule looked different. And I think like the anxiety component is what kind of caused some of the disordered eating to happen. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that I had like a diet. I definitely didn't have a diagnosed eating disorder. I know a lot of them go undiagnosed though, now that I'm in practice, but, Mm. um, I would say I had disordered eating tendencies and like compulsive exercise tendencies for sure. And I think a lot of it had to do more rooted with like (laughs) anxiety. Um, Mm. And that was definitely triggered by that transition. But once I kind of, honestly, that's kind of when running came into my life. It first came into my life as a way to like manage stress and maybe also control the way that I looked. Mm -hmm. And then once I got into it, it just turned into so much more than that. Um, It was definitely like a pivotal moment in that Uh side of me. Yeah. It, I, it sounds like from what you're describing, it sounds like you just learned a ton of stuff in a short time. Like, you know, there's some yeah. people who like really go through that whole journey you just described, but in decades. Right. But like what you're, t- what I'm hearing you say is that like, you know, you recognize like disordered patterns in yourself and we're able to shift and use running to, for stress relief. And I just, I think that's great. Um, what led you to, cause you have a master's also right in health education. Um, I do. and, and, uh, with an eating disorder focus, um, is that where that kind of like that interest came from? Actually, it came a little bit later. It was interesting too. I had a friend my freshman year who actually ended up having to um, pause her college career because she had to go into eating disorder treatment. And that definitely, I think was something I saw while I was like learning all the things that I was like, oh, like, I don't want that to happen to me. Like I see how that could happen so easily with the perfect storm, you know, and kind of what the prognosis is of that is really, it's just a really challenging road. So um, yeah, I think I was definitely the type of person where I think I identified myself as an athlete pretty quickly. And that really helped me be like, well, I don't have time for this like restriction nonsense. Like I want to run faster. So how do I do that? Oh, I got to feel my body. Okay. Like I'll do that. So it was definitely an ever growing process, but once I did become a dietitian and I was counseling people in a one-on-one setting, I learned pretty quickly that a lot of people don't have a good relationship with food. In fact, I rarely met people who did have a good relationship with food. So that's kind of what sparked my wanting to learn more about how to help people with that. Because mm-hmm. um, in traditional like dietetics training, it's there's so much school and there's so much science background. We have to learn so much about like clinical settings and food service settings and community settings that the eating disorder uh, chapter is literally like non-existent basically. So, um, I kind of had to seek out more information on that, which I figured out probably three years into my career. Yeah. It's just, this is fascinating. I I think that you're right that there's so many people who have this same, who have that same story where it's like, not quite, there's no lot a clinically diagnosed eating disorder, but like, that's certainly my story in high school. I was like having, if we had moved to the middle East, um, and you know, I, I always relate when people say, oh, eating disorders are often about controlling your environment, you know, cause I think I kind of like started to restrict my food as a way to control my environment and control what I looked like, you know? And then like, there's an educate, there's a missing education piece. And, and this is what I want to ask you what you think about it, but like, you know, I didn't know, we didn't learn anything in school about food. And then the first things that I was learning were things that I was finding on the internet about, I guess it was pre-internet. So what, but they must've been magazines. That's how old I am. Um, They must've been magazines. Yeah. yeah, Like learning about terrible. Yeah. Like diet culture. So like, I'm, I'm looking at like, before I even understand how like nutrients are sustaining my body, right? I'm learning about like how to control calories so that I can look a certain way or have a less body fat percentage or whatever. Like that just seems crazy to me. So like, how do you think we can change that culture for our kids? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think, um, that was a big thing. I was trying to reflect on this the other day with someone like what we learn in like health class, you know, like in elementary, middle and high school, you know, and I, I remember learning things like, you know, my plate or the food pyramid and eat more vegetables. And again, like a lot of it, I think is taught, it depends on the teacher, but it's also just the curriculum sent from like, you know, the USDA or the government. It's kind of taught even from more of a restrictive lens these days, especially because, you know, we always talk about, oh, like America has like an obesity problem. It's the obesity epidemic. I've even heard heard it called. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like a lot of what we see from, you know, even like the medical field can be through a very restrictive not helpful lens. Um, and then what we see through like the media and the, the fitness magazines and the celebrity magazines and like those types of things are all about appearance. So we kind of seem to have this 
value as a culture on like thinness and of course whiteness and like a certain appearance. Um, so anything that challenges that is automatically like wrong. And I mean, the, even the dietetics field kind of similar to the horse field, it's white and it's female, like it's predominantly white and it's predominantly female. Um, it's definitely, you know, a very like, it's, it's a privilege to be able to go through the schooling to acquire these credentials and it's not totally accessible for everyone. So that does limit who is able to become, you know, a dietitian, mm -hmm. um, even though it shouldn't be the case. So that we also have the same value represented in the people who are dietitians, they're white, mm -hmm. they're female and they're thin. Mm -hmm. Like I'll mm -hmm. be the first to acknowledge that it's exactly what I am. <laughs> um, so it's definitely interesting to observe that. And I think that's something that I noticed in a lot of, you know, healthcare settings was, well, just because someone is not, you know, white or thin or whatever, it doesn't mean that they can't have a bad relationship with food. You know, I had that experience, but it doesn't mean that you have to look like me to have that experience, right? Like, in fact, they probably maybe have more of trouble with it because um, they don't, you know, represent that thin ideal. So mm -hmm. kind of a soapbox topic, but um, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, teaching our kids better. I think the more we can just put all foods on a level playing field, be able to describe the nutritional value or just the value that they provide to us, not the moral value, but like, Hey, this food is going to make your eyes stronger or, mm -hmm. you know, this food tastes really good. And, you know, it might make you feel good inside, or, you know, this food might make your bones stronger. And the more we can just kind of educate about what each food can do for us and that it doesn't have to have such like an emotionally charged moral value, um, over what we're going to look like if we eat that food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I think that can be a really good step in the right direction. So it's just not taught through like this restrictive lens. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Um, okay. So now like in your work as a dietitian now, what do you see as some of the most like common challenges for that, for active women too, or for the runners that you work with and other athletes? I think, um, what we just talked about, one thing that's super challenging that I see often is that like nutrition for the general public, especially through, like I just told you, like the restrictive lens in the medical field, or even like just the kind of diet culture based fitness celebrity, you know, appearance based field. Mm -hmm. It has, it just doesn't apply. <laughs> it doesn't apply to you if you are doing like physical activity or if you're identifying yourself as an athlete, meaning you're going to exercise on purpose to, you know, improve your skills in some, in some way, mm -hmm. no matter what level you are. It's just a lot of general nutrition recommendations out there. They may not apply to you. So when you then learn about like sports nutrition recommendations, it can become super confusing for people mm -hmm. like right now, whether it's right or wrong, you know, in the media, carbohydrates are the devil. They're terrible. You know, they're the root of all evil, but in the sports nutrition world, they're like the foundation of everything that we teach. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a lot of contradicting things like that, that I think are challenging, including again, like your, your energy being restricted, low calorie, this, you know, diet, um, not eating enough, going to bed hungry, a lot of those messaging in kind of a diet cultural lens, like it's just going to lead to injury, hormone imbalance, and so many other problems as an athlete. It's a healthy person too, but especially as an athlete. Yeah. It's certainly when I was an elite athlete, um, I, like we were, it was in the middle of like the carbs, like the massive carbs for athletes. Like I was even told by, and, and to some extent I still do this. So it's not necessarily all bad or wrong, but like I was told by my nutritionist at the time to have, um, like to have candy, like during and after exercise. Um, I still use that one. So, but like, <laughs> and I, I started to eat way more carbohydrates than I naturally tended to, um, at that time. And I started to get blood sugar problems. Like when my blood sugar would just drop off the planet, like that I had never had problems like that before. So like clearly whatever I was craving, you know, was like kind of working like that. I needed a little bit more fats and, and protein. Right. Um, then it was just like, it, it, it's such an interesting time. And now it's like shift. Now it's gone like the other way. You see athletes trying to cut carbs completely out. Like you said, like, and it's like, that doesn't work either. Cause we're all just walking around like zombies and like, why are we so tired? Um, so that didn't yeah. work. So it's like, there is a lot of, um, misinformation out there. Um, I wanted to ask you like how, what are some things that you wish like every sort of 
woman who now, like, like you said, like who identifies an athlete or who act, who exercises on purpose would know about nutrition. Like what are some, a couple practical tips that you would give anyone? Um, yeah. So I think the, the biggest things are as an active woman, like you, you need to, you need to eat within an hour of waking up. You need to probably every two to four hours after that. <laughs> and you, definitely need to eat all of the macronutrients. They're all important. They do different things for us. There's not one that's like better than the other. They're just, they do different things for us. So those include carbohydrates, which, you know, turn into glucose and we eat them and that's our brain and muscles main fuel source. Um, also protein, which turns into amino acids when we eat them and that helps build our muscle tissue. And it helps us feel full because it digests really slowly and fats, which also digest really slowly. So they help us feel full. They're involved in building our hormones up and they can also be an energy source, but they're not the most efficient energy source compared to carbohydrates when it comes down to how they're broken down in these fancy biochemistry, um, situations that I won't get into, but those would probably be the biggest things. Like you need to feel your body often throughout the day. You need mm. to do it in a way that is intuitive, but there's also probably going to be some ways where it does feel a little bit forced because mm -hmm. as you know, sport can like blunt our appetite if we're really stressed, you know, and, and we are doing things that are not intuitive, like running a marathon. That's not intuitive at all. <laughs> um, no one's just like, gee, I think I'll go run 26.2 miles today on the dot. Um, so some of it's not going to be intuitive and it will feel a little forced, but that's okay. You know, just kind of give yourself some grace. Great. That's great advice. Oh, I love that eating throughout the day. Like even right now, I'm like, oh yeah, eat within an hour of waking up. You know, like I still, I'm still sitting there with my coffee, like hard at work at my computer, sometimes two or three hours after I wake up. And then I, then my first symptom is like, I'm not thinking right. <laughs> you know? um, so that's definitely good advice, at least for me anyway. Okay. So you're also like a serial entrepreneur. It looks like here, um, you know, you obviously run your, your business where you have coaching clients and nutrition clients, but you also have miss bakes a lot. Cookie catering. <laughs> Is that, are, are you still doing that? Um, I, I, I don't think it's dead. I definitely haven't like killed the LLC, but, um, yeah, that was probably my first, I didn't even mention that. Um, that was my first business in college. Uh, I make a mean chocolate chip cookie, basically <laughs> of my talents. Um, mm -hmm. and I used to have like a small catering business in college. My, my cousin named it. I used to live across the street and he'd call me Miss Bakes a lot across the street. So that's kind of where Miss Bakes a lot came from. And when I knew I wanted to start, you know, my kind of private practice for nutrition counseling, um, I knew I wanted to work with, you know, athletes. And I was like, I, I don't know, I kind of want to keep like the cookie in there somewhere. So mm -hmm. that's where Fit Cookie Nutrition came out of. Oh, I love it. I love it. And so how did you like, did you, how did you sell the cookies? I, I'm just so curious about this. Yeah. I mean, my, a lot of like my friends kind of knew, like, I would just, I don't know if there were like parties, whether it was like a like typical college party or like a family gathering or a friend's birthday party. Like I showed up with cookies. Like that's just Holly's going right. to bring cookies and baking like during high school and college was something that I did also to relieve stress. Like I just really, I really still enjoy it quite a mm -hmm. bit. So that's kind of where that came from. And I had a lot of time. I had a lot of stress to manage. So I had a lot of time to perfect my cookie recipe, mm -hmm. um, with all the baking that I did. And people were like, you could sell these, like, you know, in college, like if people just want some cookies in the middle of the night, like you could probably sell these. So I just started doing it like through word of mouth and it was super small and just on the side, but it was a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. And I even like, you know, just looking through your website today, like I can see that you're, you're really, you've really built a good, like robust business. Like, you know, you do the podcast, you do a great job of reels on Instagram. I see them all now, <laughs> you know, um, you like, you're obviously working with clients and then you have some digital products on there. Like what, how did you end up, how did you basically decide to go for it and do that? And then also like, I think, a lot of people might feel who want to do something like building your own business or brand might feel overwhelmed by that because it's like, oh, I have to create all this content. Like, how am I going to make time for that? So what would you tell those people? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it is. A, it's definitely a lot. And I was definitely overwhelmed when I started, which is probably why it took me a little bit to start. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the timeline, I always kind of knew like what, even when I learned what a dietitian was and what they could do, I was like, oh, I bet like working for myself, like private practice, that seems interesting to me. 
I've always been pretty independent that way um, and super very much like a workaholic. So the self-motivation to do work is not a problem for me. If anything, it's to a, to a fault sometimes, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, essentially. So like, you know, kind of diving into entrepreneurship and like not having financial stability and whatnot, that was definitely scary. Um, and I was kind of hemming and hawing over like when would be a good time to do that. And I was lucky that my husband at the time, um, you know, when I kind of started to think about it in 2019, like he had a stable job and me at the time, I had a stable job that I honestly like loved. And I probably wasn't going to leave it unless I got like a push because I loved who I worked with. I kind of, you know, I liked enough what I did and the setting that I was in. Um, and I was good at it. So that always feels good just to have the confidence to be able to go to work and, you know, not be super overwhelmed all the time. But we actually made the decision, my husband and I, to move to North Carolina from New Hampshire in 2020. We just wanted to do something different. His job had an office there. So we were going to do that. We we're going to sell our house. And I was going to start my business when we did that because it kind of naturally made sense. I figured I could always get a job if I needed to, you know, when I was there, but that I would start my business. And we moved in March of 2020. And of course, <laughs> the <laughs> pandemic started. Um, so telehealth, you know, definitely was a good thing. I was always planning to go virtual with my business. So that worked out well for me. And, you know, essentially my husband's job became remote forever and it didn't make sense to live where we were living anymore. So we lived there for a year. It was great, but we did come back to New Hampshire. So that was like the push that I needed to go just do it because I, you know, was leaving my job. And I was going to be able to have all the time to kind of invest in, you know, building the things that I wanted to build. I did take a course um, that helped me kind of just narrow down my focus and what what I needed to do from another dietitian entrepreneur, which Mm -hmm. I encourage people to do if you can afford it. It's really helpful because you're you're basically paying for like a more direct way to do things because you just Mm -hmm. don't know what you don't know when you're starting out. We're trained in dietetics. We're not trained in like social media marketing. Right. Um, making, making reels wasn't part no. of dietetics. Training. Like I had no idea what I was doing. So, um, you know, I kind of had a bit more of a focus of like, okay, let me just make some small, like attainable goals and just go to work every day and make a schedule for myself and really put in, I put in a lot of time to buy my business. The first year I probably worked like 60 hours a week, you know, just trying to, get everything underneath itself so that I had a website, you know, I had content all the time on social media. I was making, you know, my own handouts and educational resources for my clients that I was slowly getting, um, through word of mouth and through social media. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they were being successful. So that was helping kind of grow things. As you can tell, probably I'm pretty long winded. So that's what made me want to start a podcast. Um, (laughs) good at talking. We're going to say good at talking. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I'm wasting people's time on like Instagram stories, talking about different topics. Like I should just start a podcast. So that's kind of what led me to do that. Um, but yeah, it's really grown from there. So I think if someone's thinking about it, like, you know, maybe take a course or even do like some of the free resources that other entrepreneurs, people who are doing what you want to do, you know, do that, like take, take the course or learn from them in some ways. Um, and just start chipping away at it because, there's so much work to do. You're, you're not possibly going to know everything you have to do and you're not going to get it all done, but time's going to pass anyway. So <laughs> just start chipping away at it um, and see if you like it. Like see if you like the unknown um, and kind of generating your own success because some people don't like that. They like the structure of going to work every day, right? getting the paycheck and they're like, their anxiety is lessened because they're comfortable with that. And there is nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Um, but I knew that I just would want more. And so I think it was the right fit for me at the time, at least, especially it's, it's been going well. (laughs) I love this phrase, generating your own success. Um, whether you like that or not, like, I think that that's so, even with my own company right now, like we're about, we're about 10 or so people now. And like, it's about, now it's the place where figuring out how people f- other figuring that helping people f- figure that out for themselves. So like, who do we need to help um, create the best structure for in their job? Right. Whereas who will, will thrive being entrepreneurial within their own, even within their own job. Right. So it's a question like I think about a lot. Um, and I think it's really important what you just said to you to acknowledge, like both and like, it's okay. It's okay. If you like, it's okay, no matter how you are and how much structure you need, but you need to figure out how to help yourself 
thrive um, in your job in that way too. Like how many fail safes do I need? And if you don't want to take all the risks involved in creating your own business and don't like, that's totally fine. Being someone's like being a number two or a number three is a really great choice too. You know, Totally. Like I had actually accepted a job when I, we moved to North Carolina with another dietitian entrepreneur. And I was like, I think this is going to be great. Like she worked in eating disorders and sports nutrition. I was like, Oh my God, like what a great combo. And then even and she offered me a very, very, you know, nice starting salary compared to what I was making. And it, it's just, it was so safe and so structured and it made all the sense, but I end up, I ended up turning it down. I was like, Hey, look, I really like you. And I honestly, I just can't picture myself not being an entrepreneur and I don't want to leave you hanging. Like, I don't want to do that. So mm-hmm. I was like, I think I'm going to go do this thing. And she like encouraged me and, and was super great about it, but it was, it was wild. Like that kind of showed me cause I was, I was going to accept it. It made perfect sense. But part of me was just like, Oh, but like, you're going to not be happy. Like you're still going to want to go do your own thing. Um, so I think if that's you, like just, you just got to go try it. Yeah, totally. I, I had that experience the opposite way. Like during the pandemic, like we were working with someone who like, you know, we had a great working relationship. I loved what she did and what she was about and the content she was creating. But I also was like, I just feel like she has this entrepreneurial buzz in her. Like she needs to go do her own thing. Right. And so like, it's just like, like letting that go as amazing as she was, I was like, we could build a great business together, but that's like, someone needs to do that. They need to do that. Totally. I I do have one last question for you uh, from your uh, dietetics perspective, or even an exercise and dietetics perspective. Like, do you have strategies related to coping with stress? Like I know like exercising, you know, broadly is a good way to cope with stress, but are there other things I could eat or things I could not eat? (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, a couple things. So, and with a lot of the clients I work with, like they're kind of similar where they're pretty motivated people. Like, you know, they figured out the whole exercise for stress relief thing. And actually sometimes we need to, we need to have other coping mechanisms too. Right. So, um, like, cause it comes up, right. Like if you can't run, if you're injured or, you know, if you have so many things going on in the day that you, for some reason can't fit it in. Um, so I think having, and I've, you know, I've learned this myself cause I am that way. Um, but I think having other things to manage stress is super, hard to figure out, but it's really helpful. So like, I know for myself, obviously I do my exercise. I think I have a much better relationship with it now from, um, like it's not my only coping mechanism for stress like it used to be, but I also like to read, you know, I like to kind of disconnect from social media if I can. I think we're not meant to have that constant, like, this is what people are presenting as their highlight of the day, um, going in the back of our brains. So, (laughs) I think even disconnecting from that. And for me, like I follow a lot of people because I learn from them. Um, and we don't need to learn all the time either. <laughs> That's something I'm, I, I'm learning, um, is that, you know, it's okay to just kind of be and not need to like learn all the things all the time because that's Mm -hmm. really stressful from a nutrition perspective. One eating enough is going to essentially support the caveman part of your brain that gives us more anxiety when we're not eating enough, um, not eating enough, you know, one of the, whether it's just acutely, like you're just starting to get hungry because it's been a few hours since you last ate or chronically, you know, if our blood sugar is starting to get low, you know, that kind of signals that part of our brain to be like, uh Oh, you know, stress, 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 go eat something. So eating enough in general can actually help us just be less stressed out. Um, and again, I, I really push this with a lot of my clients. Um, and it's really hard for people to hear, but if you are able to please, please, please have water and food within an hour of waking up before you reach for caffeine, it will kind of allow your day to start on, you know, a more nourished level. You're going to be more hydrated. Your gut's going to be happy about that. And you're going to have food, which is what actually gives us energy versus like a stimulant, which blunts our appetite, you know, but like makes our blood sugar crash and doesn't really give us energy. It only does like in the moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so that's definitely a pattern that if it's like, if people can try like one thing and I know it's like really hard if you love your, and I love my cup of coffee in the morning, Mm -hmm. but like, I gotta have water and food first. Otherwise, like you're, I'm not going to be as good of a person (laughs) later in the day or be able to, I'll get overwhelmed more easily. (laughs) Yeah. What, what do you eat in the morning? 
I personally, it kind of depends on if I'm running or not. If I'm going to run like earlier in the morning, I'll have something small before my run, like, like a gel or, um, like a piece of toast or something like that. Um, but my favorite like breakfast, if I have a while or if I'm not running is I just really like oatmeal. (laughs) It's like my thing. Mm. Um, like I like oats with like berries and peanut butter and flaxseed. And I really like iced coffee. That's like one of my favorite things too. But I like having that definitely with with food. <laughs> but that's probably my go to breakfast. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna eat. <laughs> I'm gonna eat before, which means I'm gonna be getting up straight to the water and snack, and then yeah. have my coffee. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like it doesn't have to be like a huge meal. I tell people, but just having like something in your system before you know, and some hydration if you can before you're getting that you know, caffeine hit can be, it can be super helpful for people, especially if you do struggle to eat enough in general, or if you do have kind of like, if you're like a higher anxiety person, or if you find yourself crashing like later in the day, um, Mm -hmm. it can be a helpful tip of patterns. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely struggle to eat in the morning. You know, I think that's very common and like not doing it is not helping. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) One of the coffee blunts your appetite and it makes it harder. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, exactly. So I am going to try that. Thank you. I love Uh, it. (laughs) Tell me how it goes. (laughs) I will. I will. So, okay. You, if people want to hear more of you talking, Holly, you have your own podcast. Where can they find that? Yeah. If you just want to keep hearing my voice. Um, (laughs) yeah, I have, um, a podcast It's called the fit cookie nutrition podcast, and you can find it on pretty much any podcast player, like, you know, Apple, Spotify, Google, those types of things. Cool. And then you have a program coming up, the strong runner Academy. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my group coaching program is called the strong runner Academy. It's 12 weeks long and um, we meet every single week and we kind of build on our nutrition foundation as runners. I teach you kind of how to eat, you know, in general day to day to support your training and, you know, what a rest day versus like a higher intensity day versus a strength training day might look like. Um, we talk about what to eat like before, during, and after your training sessions. Um, we also talk about stress management strategies, body image, um, and kind of making sure you meet your micronutrient needs and from an injury prevention standpoint as well. Well, that sounds amazing. Um, okay, cool. And where can people find you just in general website or where can they watch your reels? <laughs> yeah, you can watch my reels on I'm on Instagram probably as my like main social media platform, typical millennial. Um, but my handle is fit cookie nutrition. And then my website is fitcookienutrition.com. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Holly, so much. This has been so fun. I'm sure my audience will love it and, uh, hopefully talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match. 
and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes.